You know what's the coolest thing about this is that, uh, that as I was thinking about what we were going to do tonight, um, I received this kind of burden that, that we should sing, I Surrender All. And I thought, well, maybe we're not going to have enough time, and, and so I just kind of discounted it. And amazingly enough, God decided that he was going to make sure that we sang, I Surrender All. Um, so we're going to start with that. I want to just start with a short story, um, a true story. It happened to, uh, to me and my family about uh, two or three weeks ago. We're, uh, I forget where we were driving to. Um, anyway, we're down this road called the Grand River going down, and uh, we're in our minivan, me in the driver's seat, my wife in the passenger seat, two girls in the back, right, you know. And, uh, and there's a van in front of us and a truck, and, and I'm not really paying attention to what's going on. And, and then all of a sudden I hear, <laughs> sorry, didn't want that on the, didn't want that on the mic, <laughs> I mean on the tape. Okay, um, so we, we hear this thing in front of us, right? Now, um, I don't know how many of you girls know what makes that sound. Um, I know most of the guys know what makes that sound, right? And uh, I'm just trying to peek over. The, the van in front of us, trying to see what car that is, <laughs> right? Because I know it's probably a pretty, you know, slicked out, sick car um, that's, that's in front of us there. Um, assuming it's, we use the term rice rocket. I don't know what they use in other areas, right? You know, it sounds like it's a nitro. sounds like he's probably lowered. And, and I'm just like, oh, that's going to be sweet. I want to check this out. Right? So I'm peeking, and we just, I just can't see it. Dumb vans in front of us and stuff. And, you know, and I'm not trying to try not to be an aggressive driver. I got my family with me. And so I calm down and you just hear this car. I just hit the red light and then nothing, right? And then get the green light and just kind of hear this car accelerating. And I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Um, sorry, it's the guy in us, right? It's the guy in us. All the women are laughing and shaking their heads. And as we're, uh, we're going and going, and anticipation's kind of building, and, and finally we get to the, the on-ramp to the highway, and we're going straight, and the car makes the turn. I, I, I look over, and it's a Dodge Neon. <laughs> now, mind you, it could be a slicked-out Dodge Neon. I mean, he's got, he's got a muffler the size of my head. I mean, the exhaust pipe is about that big. You know, coming out the one end, he's got black rims, lowered, black body, um, plastic and stuff. And so, split second, a lot of discouragement. Just kind of like, And then I'm thinking real quick, like, well, maybe it's just really fast, right? And then you hear him accelerate. And let me tell you, all you heard was you heard the acceleration, right? <laughs> Didn't go anywhere. <laughs> he's just kind of moving. I'm like, man, I could take him with my minivan. <laughs> But he's moving. I mean, he sounds like he's moving. Uh, it's funny. And you've probably all been kind of like saw, seen, excuse me, have seen similar cars like that, right? You know, they, they sure sound good or they look good. And then you look under the hood and there's not much there. Um, uh, you know, same thing with my Civic once. I drive a Civic and it's not souped up. Um, and Civic pulls up next to me sounding like it's souped up and he didn't go anywhere. Um, so, what does this have to do with the kingdom of heaven? Um, I'm not sure yet. We'll get there. But what it did lead me to think about was how often 
that neon that sounded so good is so much like our lives. Why is it? It led me to, it started me thinking. It's, it's amazing how a Dodge Neon can get me thinking. But a Dodge Neon got me thinking about how, how it reflects my life. Why is it that we sound so good sometimes? But there's no guts behind the sound. You know, if, and you can take it on different levels. If you're not a Christian, um, how many people are born-again Christians? Raise your hands. How many people have made a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and haven't, haven't been baptized yet? Okay. All right, just wanted to get a feeling. Um, so let's say you're not a Christian, and yet we can sound so good in a lot of different ways. Whether you're at school, you know, you, you sound good, look good. But what's inside? I mean, it's like opening the hood of the car and there not being an engine. Isn't that what it's like, being a, not being a Christian? It's like all you're good for, it's almost like a soapbox derby car. You can look as good as you want, but all you're good for is pushing down the hill. And the only place you're accelerating is on the way down. Right? That's, that's what not being a Christian's like. Just headed downhill. It's the only way you're going to accelerate. And there's nothing, there's no motor. And you know exactly where I'm coming from if you've made a commitment before. Because what happens? You start to go up a little bit. Right? Well, yeah, you get so much acceleration going down that you can make it up that little hill. But it sure stalls out real quick. And why is it for us Christians that, that it's like you open the hood and inside, let's just use the neon, right? Inside the neon, there's this supercharged V12. Right? There's not room for a passenger in that neon because that engine takes up so much space. That's what it's like being a Christian. That's what we have inside. And yet it seems like so often we're only firing maybe four cylinders. Just chugging along. We're not going anywhere. Why? Don't you feel that you've been shortchanged? You know, as a Christian, I've been promised peace, been promised an exciting, awesome life. For those of you that aren't Christians, you've been promised peace. You've heard it before. Promised an adventure. Promised an amazing kingdom. Promised that God will never leave you. So why is it? Why is it that that we Come off feeling shortchanged. This peace isn't always there. God's kingdom doesn't feel so amazing. It sure doesn't feel like Jesus is right there with us all the time. Why? 
Well, I propose that it's because someone, someone's been putting out a lot of false propaganda lately. Someone has been telling us that we can have the best of both worlds. Someone has been saying all we have to do is believe. God is so good, and he is. Praise him for that. But someone's been telling us all we have to do is believe. God loves us. His mercy is never-ending. It overpowers everything and anything, and it doesn't matter where we're at. God's mercy is there. Well, that sounds pretty right on, doesn't it? What's wrong with that? One part of what's missing lately in the advertisement of Christianity in society is that someone paid. Someone paid for what you and I do. And it hurt. And it wasn't free. And it wasn't cheap. And it wasn't easy. And that payment shows the love. Let's turn to Matthew 25. I'm going to assume that most of you know these verses. We're going to read some of them. We're not going to read all of them. But there's something key in here. There's something key that I want you to notice. I didn't catch it early on. The parable of the ten virgins. And we're going to read, um, we're going to read the 13 verses there. And it starts with verse 1, and it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were wise took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so lest there not be enough for you and me, for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I, know, verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, 
For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Now, what's so eye-opening about what we just read? Well, maybe it's obvious to you. I'm a little slow sometimes. Wasn't too obvious to me. Um, I always thought that the kingdom of heaven was when the bridegroom came. Right? Kind of makes sense. The kingdom of heaven is when the bridegroom comes. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto this story. The kingdom of heaven is the whole story. The kingdom of heaven is not when the bridegroom comes. It's the stuff at the beginning, too. Somebody needs to put their cell phone on vibrate. <laughs> um, so, how does that change things? What does that have to do with what, the whole kind of introduction that I laid out for us? Well, let's go on to the next one real quick. And I'm not going to read all of the next one because we probably know it, right? The parable of the talents. Jesus continues, and he says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, according to his ability, he gave them the talents. Right? That's what we read. And if you read it in Luke, there's a slight addition to these portion, to this verse, in that he says and told them to occupy till he came, basically to use the money, to trade with the money until he came back. So he gave them direction what to do with the money in Luke. But that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. When I was younger, I always thought, actually pretty recently, I always kind of paid attention when I read this passage, when's the kingdom of heaven? When he comes back, right? Makes sense. That's not what this is saying. This is saying the kingdom of heaven is this parable. It's this parable. And within each of these parables, if we look at the ten virgins, there has to be faith. So, people who say that all you have to do is believe are right on because we have to have faith. Those virgins had to have faith that the, king, that the bridegroom was going to come. Right? What's the point of hanging out and waiting if, if you don't believe he's going to come? Basically, it doesn't make sense. I was going to use a different word, but I won't. It doesn't make sense. So they had to have faith that the, that the bridegroom was coming. But there was something else. What else does he point out, Jesus now, point out in this parable? Not only did they have to have faith, wouldn't you say they had to have some commitment to this? Does commitment sound right? They had to hang out and wait. Not only did they have to believe, they had to be committed to waiting till the bridegroom came because they didn't know when it was happening. And within that kind of preparation is the obvious theme in there. Um, in this one, there isn't much in the way of obedience listed, but in the second parable, not only is there faith, not only is there commitment, but also obedience. And so, what I propose is missing. What I propose is the false propaganda that's being thrown out there and spread far and wide to all of us. And 
being absorbed by us who are Christians. It's being absorbed by people who aren't even saved yet. And they're misunderstanding where they're going. What I propose is missing is the commitment and the obedience. It's easy to believe. Anybody here not believe in Jesus? Raise your hand. I didn't, I didn't think anybody was going to raise your hand. But. <laughs> but if you don't believe, raise your hand. I want to see. No, nobody. everybody believes in Jesus. Even if they haven't committed their lives to him here, they believe in Jesus. But you know what? The demons believe too. Right? It's easy to believe. Because it's true. It's real. There is evidence. The demons believe. They tremble. It's easy to believe. God wants more. Those that weren't committed in this parable didn't make it. The one that wasn't obedient in the second parable didn't make it. Now you can say, Bob, you're, you're, just, you're talking about works now. We're saved by our works. It's a whole other story, a whole other discussion. But what this parable is saying, and you can come up with me and argue with me later on if you want to, but I'm on firm ground on this one. What this parable is saying is that the disobedient servant didn't make it. You can't argue that. So what's obedience for us? What does it mean to be committed? Why are our lives lackluster? Why does it seem like, like Jesus isn't there all the time, like that promise that we've been given of, of, of peace, of excitement, of power, doesn't exist at times in our lives as Christians? I mean, you're, you're in the most amazing time of your lives. Having been there, I can tell you, you're in the most amazing time of your lives. There is so much potential within you. There's so much energy. There's so much that God can do. Why doesn't he do more? Why didn't he do more when I was sitting there? It's because we want the best of both worlds. And we've been told that we can have it. We've been told that we can have, be Christians and have our lives as well. We've been told that God loves us regardless of anything. I do it too. I have my own desires. I love architecture. Some of you probably know that and have heard me preach about it, possibly. I have a daily struggle in how much time I spend thinking about a passion that has nothing to do with eternity. And that's how buildings are going to look. Because I get to design them. So it's easy for me, and it's easy for friends of mine. I have friends who are Christians. We go out for lunch sometimes, and it's easy for us to say, you know, God put me here. I'm doing God's work. I'm being a, a witness where I'm at. 
I need to take pleasure and, and, and do my work hard and well and, and, and just be a good example, right? Be a good servant. The Bible says that. Be a good servant. Wherever you are, be a good servant. You know, we can take that to an extreme. Now, most of you probably aren't in a position yet where you love your jobs. Anybody love their job yet? All right, I see some hands. Cool. Anybody love their career path? Now I'm seeing more hands coming up. So let me ask you, in reality, how easy would it be for you to subtly explain away the time that you're putting in to make yourself more successful in your career path or at the job that you love, right? How easy would it be? And if you're honest with yourself, just like if I'm honest with myself, it's not that difficult, is it? It's not that difficult to explain away extra time spent at work, less time spent doing the work of God. And that's just one little area of it, people. That's just one little area. If you start to think about and extrapolate and, and kind of build upon this just one idea that I've just shared, think about how easy it is for us to come up with a justification for our Christian lifestyle. And then we ask, why am I not experiencing the power? Where is the evidence of the Spirit working in my life that I was promised that I could see? What does Jesus expect? I never put the first parable, the second parable in this chapter, and the culmination together. And shame on me for not doing that. But when you do, let's read the culmination. When the Son of Man, now this is after, in verse 30, he says, um, what does he do to the unprofitable servant, the disobedient servant? And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then in verse 31 he says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a sheep divideth all the sheep, his sheep from his goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, Lord, when did we see you? When did we see you this way? When did we see you hungry and we fed you? Or thirsty and we gave you drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in? Or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick? Or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these 
my brethren. You've done it unto me. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now let me ask you a rhetorical question. How much fun is it to go to a nursing home where the smell's really bad, people aren't changed properly, and to hang out with somebody? How much fun is it? Not much fun. Right? How many times do we, how many times do you hang out with the old person who you can barely understand at church and just sit and talk with them. How about, how about the guy walking down the street who smells really bad, teeth are missing, ripped up clothes? I see him all the time. What do you do? Cross the street? Ignore him? What do you do at church? Hang out with your friends, ignore the hurt, the sick. Where is the power that we're missing? Where is the, is the question that I'm asking? Where is it in? It's in the love and the compassion and the mercy. Right? What are the talents that Jesus has given us? It's not the gifts. It's not the gifts of the, the fruits of the Spirit. It's not the gifts. It's not those. Those, not, those aren't the talents. You know what the payment is? You know what the, the thing that he gave us to hold on to until he comes back is? It is his love. It is his mercy, his compassion. And what are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to make it bigger. You're supposed to take the love, the compassion, the mercy that Jesus had and make it grow. So that when he comes back, there's more than when he left. That when we're done, there's more. And you know what the most amazing thing is? I, this is a personal experience, right? This is, I'm not just speaking kind of head knowledge. This is just real life stuff. When do I feel most at peace Outside of my circumstances, you know, times have been tough in my church locally recently. Things aren't always right, like a bed of roses, right? And some of you have experienced that. Some of you might not have yet. I went and visited a brother who was in the hospital. Brought my two little girls with me. I didn't really feel like going. But it's a minister's job, right? It's one of, one of those things you have to do. So I got home at 7 o'clock from work, quick, ate dinner, threw the girls in the car with me, gave my wife a break, and off we went for a 40-minute drive to go see this, this guy that just went into the hospital. The love, the, the happiness, sorry, not the love, the love that we experienced, but the happiness that I saw in his face when we walked in, and those two little girls walked in, probably more so than me, right? <laughs> but the point being, the joy that I brought through my action, through the work that I did, the joy that I brought to that brother gave me such the biggest sense of peace, the biggest sense of being in the Father's work. 
So when it's missing, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We can blame the deception that's going on, but we have nobody to blame but the things that we do with our time. The justification that we create to allow us to do what we want, to follow our own desires rather than to serve the kingdom. Now, I just want to read this. Um, it's, it's the lyrics to a song. Some of you might recognize it. Some of you might be too young. Um, can't believe I'm saying that. But um, it's called Asleep in the Light. Do you see? Do you see? All the people sinking down? I might cry. Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them down? I'm sorry, are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and you pretend that the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds a tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. He cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such, 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 such sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you. Be at peace. And all heaven just weeps. Because Jesus just came to your door and you've left them out on the street. Open up. Open up. And give yourself away. You've seen the need. You hear the cry. So how can you delay? God's calling you. He's calling every one of you. He's calling me. And yet you just run. But like Jonah, you run. He told you to speak and you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see? It's such sin. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead? when you've been so well fed. Jesus rose from the grave, and, you know, this is so true, and you, you can't even get out of bed. Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes, you pretend the job's done. Don't close your eyes. Don't pretend that the job's done.
There's a job to do. And if we want to feel the power of the Spirit working in our lives, and if we want to make it evident to those that don't see Jesus, those that don't know Jesus, those even here, right here today, that don't have a clue, because to them the kingdom is invisible, then we have to make it visible. And the only way it's going to be visible is it's visible through you and I. There is so much potential. There is so much power here. There is so much energy. Use it. Use it for the glory of God's kingdom. Don't just lay in bed. You know, one day, Jesus is coming back. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, unto everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we you hungry or sick or thirsty or in prison? When did, we, when did we see you? We never saw you. That's just the problem. We never see him. Then shall he answer him, them, saying, Verily I say it unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to the least to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And there will come a time, we read it in Philippians, there's going to come a time when Jesus is coming back in all his glory, in all his power. And you know what? For those of you that aren't saved and you're headed downhill in that soapbox of yours, that invisible kingdom is going to become visible, just like that. And it's going to be too late. And you're going to bow. You're going to get on your knees and you're going to bow before the Lord of all creation. You're not going to do it voluntarily. But you will bow because the Bible says that every knee will bow. Everyone is going to get on their knees before the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. And you can do it voluntarily by choosing Him as your Lord. Or you can do it, not voluntarily, but it is going to happen one way or the other. I want to invite you. I want to invite all of you to do it voluntarily. Serve the Lord your God. I surrender all. Brother Mike to close with a prayer. And I invite for all of you who wish to kneel with me in prayer. Father in heaven, it's a powerful thing to be in your presence and to bow at your presence, Father, to 
come and say that we expect a blessing and we come to camp and we ask that your spirit would be in all of our hearts and speaking to each of us is something that we've said many times, Lord, but when it does and when your power works in this place, it moves us time and again. Father, we're thankful that we've been given a glimpse into each of our lives, Father, starting with me, to those times where we don't shine the light of your salvation through us and back to this world, Father. We say that we want to be a glass that can shine the light of truth through our bodies and from you into this sin-darkened world, Lord, but as the parable says, not only should we take that light and shine it, Father, but we need to magnify it. We need to go into this world and clean out those corners, Father. Find those people and look for them that don't know you, don't know of the salvation that is offered through thy Son, Father. Many in this room who confess to believing in God, believe that he exists, believe that his Son exists and that his Son died, but haven't taken hold of that salvation, Father. They're as lost as those that we have passed by on the road, and we ask and pray that every heart in this auditorium this evening, Father, would take hold of that promise and take hold of that gift of salvation, take hold of the grace that is offered and the power, and apply it to their lives, Father, and not to find themselves looking to the right or to the left saying, I'm doing my best and I'm doing as well as I can, because at that point, that's when we're not doing enough, Father. When we think we stand, it says, when, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall, Father. As soon as we think we have it, we've lost it. And pray that that would not be the case for anyone here, Father, that we would rush forward into the rest of this week, the rest of our lives here on earth, and that we could serve thee to the utmost, not to what we think we can handle, Father, but to what we know that thy Spirit can provide for in our lives. Father, as we do go from this place, keep our minds fixed upon thee and affixed upon the word that has been shared with us, and pray that we would never, ever forsake that gift that has been given to us. We're thankful for these things and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.